Thank you very much. Well, good morning, church. How are we all this morning? Good morning, those on Zoom. It's uh, good to be here. Can you hear me all okay? Hello, one, two. Still gives me time to do this because it's a man and he can't do two things at once. And then they'll laugh because they know it's true. One button. There we go, folks. Hello, one. Oh, look out. We have volume. Well, this is going to be fun, walking around all these. I like to move, so please bear with me as I wander around. So I'm from Prison Fellowship, wonderful ministry. Um, the Prison Fellowship was founded back in 1976 in America by a gentleman by the name of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was the right-hand man to President Nixon. So those of my vintage that may have hair, my colour or worse, will know of Chuck Colson. Uh, so he went through Watergate, everything went down, on the way to the court case, uh, Chuck encountered Jesus and changed his life forever. As he went to court, he confessed to a few things that the prosecutors didn't know. Whether that was what landed him in prison, I don't know, but he ended up with a seven-month prison term. At the end of seven months, as he was leaving prison, God said to him, I want you to remember the men you've met. As he left prison, so Chuck gave up and, and closed down his successful law practice and in 1976 began prison fellowship. In 1978, he started Prison Fellowship. Oh, sorry. Oh, mate, I'm terrible, aren't I? Cool, I'll hold on. <laughs> so, he started Prison Fellowship International. In 1979, he visited Australia. And in 1981, we kicked off Prison Fellowship in Australia. It's 40 years this year we celebrate taking the Gospels into prisons in this nation. And it is such a privilege. It is amazing to see what God does in and behind bars. So, Prison Fellowship, I'll just give you a little bit of history on who we are. So, we're the largest uh, group of ministries in the world visiting in uh, prisons. So, there's no other organisation as big as us. We're in 125 countries around the world. Um, we have uh, over 50,000 volunteers around the world. In Australia, we are in every single state in the country now. We have over 1,000 volunteers in Australia that go into prisons every week doing a range of different programs. And I love to say all of that because what we do in Queensland is unique to us in all those 125 countries around the world. What we do in Queensland is we do chaplaincy into prisons. Chaplaincy is... The reason it's unique in Queensland is because our government, love them or hate them, uh, don't pay chaplains. So we're the only chaplains in Australia that are volunteers. But one of the things I love about that is it gives us an opportunity then to actually really want to be there. You're not going into prison for money, you're going in because you believe God has called you to a ministry in the prisons. But the other beauty about that is it means that we have a contract, not us specifically with Prison Fellowship, but the State Chaplaincy Board, which is made up of six organisations, uh, being... Prison Fellowship, the only non-denominational prison ministry. Then you've got the Anglican Prison Ministry, Catholics, Uniting Care, Salvation Army, and the Baptists have Trinity, uh, which is Inside Out Prison Fellowship. So those six groups make up the State Chaplaincy Board and they have a contract with Queensland Government to provide pastoral care to every inmate in, Bris in Queensland for a minimum of four days a week. That means that everywhere else in, the, in Queensland, it's frowned upon to preach the gospel, it's frowned upon to hand Bibles out. It's frowned upon to pray for people, but lock them up and the government says, hey, knock yourself out. <laughs> Which I love because you're reaching out to people that have hit rock bottom. We have the opportunity and please forgive me, I've just remembered I didn't set my timer. 
So we have prison, uh, chaplains going into prisons all over the, the state. In Queensland, we've got 14 maximum security prisons and three of those maximum security prisons have uh, farms attached to them. So Lotus Glen is one of those. It has the farm as well. Um, so we've got, uh, just recently, about eight weeks ago, Queensland hit 10,000 incarcerated. Very sad day for us because the same day I heard that, I was on a meeting with our national office and found that Victoria has just got into the 6,000 in prisons. So when you look at that, Victoria has a higher population and we have a higher prison population. Not good for us. But the beauty for us is we get to take gospel into the prisons. Now you guys here have a fair bit to do with Kairos, which is a wonderful program. Kairos is very dear and, and near to the hearts of prison fellowship because our state manager, Graham Hembro, was instrumental in getting the very first Kairos program into a Queensland prison. Uh, so we love the program and really support it. Uh, I know that I was a chaplain up here at Lotus Glen for seven years. We talked about, I think all of those seven years, we talked about getting Kairos into the prison, but the problem that we had was volunteers. It's a problem that everyone faces. Who wants to go and volunteer and do something? We live such busy lives. Uh, so one of my roles as I'm travelling around in far north Queensland is also to promote Kairos to all the other churches to try and get more volunteers that can partner with us and do programs with Prison Fellowship as long as, along with programs with Kairos. So talking about programs, Prison Fellowship, the uniqueness about us in Queensland is that we don't just do chaplaincy, we do programs into prison as well. One of the flagship programs that we do, and I love it, I really do love what it does, it's called the Sycamore Tree Project. As the name suggests, it's about Jesus and Zacchaeus in the Bible, Luke 19. What we do is we get victims of crime and take them into the prison and they get to share their story. So Sycamore Tree was a program written by Prison Fellowship International in 1995. It's now in 40 countries around the world. Uh, in the UK, it's in every single prison because they see the importance of the, the fact that it reduces recidivism. It actually changes people. Why does it change people? Because it's faith-based. We know that the only way you can change people is to let them encounter Jesus in some way, shape or form. So the sycamore tree, we take victims of crime into prison. Um, so what does that look like? Um, we've got some victims of crime or survivors of crime in Queensland. One of them that we took into prison was a lady by the name of Melissa. You can read her story on a website that we have called Sycamore Voices. So Melissa went to work in 2000. She was a bank teller. She turned up to work one day. About 9 o'clock in the morning, bloke comes in, puts a gun to her head says, give me all your money. As you can imagine, that would be quite horrific. Let's be honest. I mean, someone putting a gun to your head would, would scare the pants off you. It took about three to six months for Melissa to recover from that and she started work again. First day back at work, bloke walks in, puts a gun to her head, says, give me all your money. Absolutely destroyed her. Her story was that she took about two years to get over that. She couldn't even leave home. At one point, I sat back and thought, well, why is that? And then I had a few people tell me that when someone comes into a bank, they have a hood over their head. So that person that robbed the bank knew exactly who Melissa was, but for her she had no idea. So that meant that every single person in society became a potential perpetrator. Were you the one that put the gun to my head? So she said that she couldn't even walk from her front door to her letterbox. Fast forward to 2012 when Melissa took part in the Sycamore Tree Project and inside her program that particular group was a gentleman that had done about 21 years on and off for armed robberies. So Melissa's up there sharing her story and as she gets to the point where she says, I couldn't even go from the front door to the letterbox, a light bulb moment for this bloke and he goes, wow, I've done that to someone. I've caused that to people. So fast forward again, five years later, he's walking down a walkway. 
walks past our state manager, Graham, gets past him, says, hey, Graham, remember that program we did? Graham says, yeah, mate, what an awesome program it was. This bloke says, yeah, he said, uh, remember that woman that shared her story? He said, every time I think about her, it still brings a tear to my eye. What I love about that is that did that man encounter Jesus in a way where he began his journey of faith? No. But what that program did was it impacted him so much that when he gets out of prison, when he's hard up for money, he's got a gun in his back pocket, he's about to go and do something, he's going to see Melissa's face and he's going to go, I can't do that to someone. There's a life changed. All because they took part in a program that talked about restorative justice. People might think, well, you know, who's in prison? Maybe they don't deserve to have that. You know, these are, as some would say, the scum of the earth. We've got another victim of crime. Uh, her name was Michelle. Her father was murdered back in 1979. Um, they've never found the perpetrator. She took part in the program and she was asked, the question she was asked was, what did you expect to find when you went to prison? And her answer was, literally was, the scum of the earth. Then they asked her, well, what did you find? She said, I ended up finding victims of crime just like me. I did seven years as chaplaincy and I can tell you that I encountered so many victims of crime that ended up becoming perpetrators because we only do what we know to do. If we don't encounter Jesus and begin to see that change, we don't change. So our program is designed to help and to basically to help them understand what restorative justice is, to take responsibility for their actions and to begin to change. We run a couple of other programs, one being uh, Change on the Inside, which is six godly characters. We remove the word godly and we talk about uh, these six tools that can help you live a better life. And then we run the program that every church loves and it's called The Prisoner's Journey. It's our faith-promoting program. It's where we do an eight-week walk through the Book of Mark and we introduce the inmates to Jesus the prisoner. You go, oh, Jesus the prisoner. We see him as Jesus our king. Absolutely. But at the same time, Jesus was arrested He was tried, he was convicted, he was sentenced to death and he died as a prisoner, beaten by the Roman soldiers, the guards of the day. So you begin to share that to an inmate, he goes, oh, them officers beat me the other day. This fellow Jesus knows exactly what that's like. And we talk about encouraging them to have their own faith journey. So we're always looking for volunteers for all of those, for chaplaincy and for those programs. Those programs are very simple. There are six, seven or eight week programs. They're in the prison for about two hours. You're, what, a 20-minute drive to the prison? So maybe three hours once a week for seven weeks is all you've got to give up and you can actually really see some amazing change take place in people's lives. I have seen God literally remove the burden and remove the weight. I sat in an office one day with an inmate and as we talked, I physically saw it for the first time, a weight physically lift off and him stand up to an extent because he realised that God would actually forgive him, that he can actually forgive himself. That's the power of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the message that we have. So you can volunteer with us. Well, there's three ways you can partner with us. First being prayer. Now, prayer for us is super important. Um, I think that it's the foundation of everything we do. Uh, So my mum retired down to Tassie about 12 years ago. Mum and dad, they went to a little church in a place called Stanley, about 20 people. Mum began to talk about what Darren did in the prison and they loved it. They said, we want to take you on as a, a prayer mission. So that church as a group began to pray for me and individually on a Thursday some of those members would pray for me. Now the bloke I talked about that I physically saw, the weight lift off his shoulder, I only encountered him because I knew that there was a church down in Stanley praying for me because the whole encounter of that was so amazing only God could orchestrate it. This bloke committed his crime in the Gold Coast. I lived on the Gold Coast. I heard about the crime. I went to a church one day and I heard a victim stand up and begin to share his story and how he's forgiven this perpetrator. Then God says, Darren, I want you to move from the Gold Coast to Cairns and become a chaplain in a prison. 
This inmate's in jail one day, being told, prepared that he's going to Maryborough. Five o'clock one morning, screws come in, sorry, officers come in, changed my language, <laughs> officers come in, grab him, put him on a plane, send him to Lotus Glen. Manager meets me on a walkway, says, can you come and talk to a bloke? Here I am telling this bloke, he's saying, how can I ever be forgiven for what I did? I've done this, I've ruined this man's life. I was able to sit there and go, no, brother. I was in a church where he stood up and he said he's forgiven you. Only God can do that. That's not something that we orchestrate ourselves. That's the power of prayer. We have a, uh, a red card. I've got a table out there in the morning tea. Best part of the service, isn't it? Um, where you can actually come and see me. And um, if you fill this card out and tick the little box on the bottom right-hand side, that says our prayer diary where we send out an email every week of some information about who you can pray for, what you can pray, names of prisons. There's some names of chaplains on there that you can pray for. I really encourage you to do that. The other way you can um, volunteer is through volunteering for us. Sign up and become a volunteer. It doesn't take much. It's not scary. Prisoners are not scary. People often ask me, what's prison like, Darren? No different to a church. group of broken people. The only difference in a church is that we've, we've already found Jesus and he's repairing us. But it literally is no different. I've met men from all walks of life. They've come from the business world. They've come from no business world. They've come from working. They've come from no background. Just like the general society. So you can fill out, there's a a tick on here for volunteering. That does not commit you to anything other than we will send you an email. If you choose not to respond to that email, you'll never hear from us again. If you choose to respond, we'll talk to you about how you want to volunteer with us. If you tick that volunteering, the group that we want to put together in Far North Queensland is not just for prison fellowship. As I mentioned Kairos before, we also want to train some of our volunteers to be able to partner with Kairos and go in and run the Kairos program that's kicking off in Lotus Glen. I mean, I know that's about 10 years in the making, getting that into Lotus Glen, so it is exciting for us to see it happen. So we want to support that. The other way you can help support us is through finances. Like I said, we're the only non-denominational ministry in Queensland taking chaplaincy into prisons. We're not affiliated with any church. We get no government funding. We are funded purely through wonderful churches that choose to add us to their missions or individuals that say, I really love what you do, Darren. I want to help. I want to partner with you for as little as $15 a month. You can become what we call a chain breaker. You can help us get the gospel into prison and break the chains off of those that are locked up. 15 bucks a month, three coffees. Not a lot really, is it? When you consider how many coffees do we drink? Three coffees can get the gospel into the prison. How exciting is that? So come and have a chat with me after that. For all those that do want to partner with us financially, I have this wonderful book that we give away. It's an awesome book. It's called Why Forgive? You sort of sit back and you go, oh, why forgive, you know? Do I really need to read that? Absolutely, man. Forgiveness, biggest problem in the world today. What I love about this book is it's not a book that's going to tell you chapter and verse what the Bible says about forgiveness. It's not going to preach to you. It's a book that is full of stories of people that have experienced something in their life and it's how they walk through forgiveness. The gentleman that put the book together was a police officer in the States. He uh, went to work one day and a bloke shot him, lost the use of his legs. As they do in America, they celebrate their public servant. So he's up on a stage about to receive this award and his wife steps forward and is beginning to talk and out of his wife's mouth he hears these words, my husband's chosen to forgive. And he's sitting back and he's going, really? I have? Like every man, yes, wives are always telling us what to do. But he talks about his journey. How did he forgive his perpetrator? Lost the use of his legs. Couldn't imagine that. 
Then I handed this book out to a lady that uh, partnered with us in January this year and she sent me an email three days later and she said, I couldn't believe it, Darren. I was flicking through the book. I didn't want to start from the front, so I was just flicking through and I got to a story about a bloke that lost his hands through a letterbox bomb. And she said, that was my cousin. I've never heard his story before. I was able to read how he journeyed through forgiveness. See, we all have issues with forgiveness. We all lack the understanding of how do I walk through it? When you read someone's story, it teaches you how to walk through it. If that's how they did it, maybe that's how I can do it. So I encourage you to come and see me about that. And I've got a couple of brochures out there to talk about all the programs that we do. And and, uh, we also do some Children of Prisoner programs, Angel Tree. Come and have a chat with me about that. But I wanted to talk a little bit today about Jesus and Zacchaeus. Because I love that story. Jesus and Zacchaeus is, is is really in the Christian scene a Sunday school story. It's about a small man that that can't see, so he climbs a tree because he wants to see Jesus. And we relegate it to Sunday school. For those, again, that have got my colour hair or worse, we didn't have wonderful projectors and screens when I was in Sunday school. We had what they called felt boards. I remember going to Sunday school. The teacher had the felt board set up, little tree. I had one of the good teachers. So as she was talking about Jesus journeying along, she would move the felt Jesus along. So it was like, oh, Jesus is walking along. But that's where we've relegated. We've left it to... Sunday school. The problem is that there's nothing in the Bible that's that's just there for Sunday school. There is a lesson in every single story. So today I just want to read through that story. It's found in Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through to 9. Um, I'm reading out the NIV version. It says Luke 19 verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and as he was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, for I must stay at your house today. And he came down immediately and at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this man's house because this man too is a son of Abraham. An amazing story. It's only mentioned in Luke. only goes for nine verses. Why would Jesus put that or why would God put that in the Bible? We begin to look at that story. The very first verse talks to us and it says that there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. There's nothing in the Bible that shouldn't be there. Why would Jesus say that? Why would the Bible tell us that Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he was wealthy? Because it wanted us to understand that Zacchaeus was one of the most hated men of all society. See, we don't hate tax collectors, well, maybe some of us do, but we don't for the most part because tax collectors are our voted government. So we don't go around talking about how much we hate the government. Well, some people do, but not most people. But see, back then, Zacchaeus wasn't the government. He was a Jew who was employed by the Romans. So the Jews hated him because he worked for the Romans. The Romans hated him because he was a Jew. But the Jews also hated him because Zacchaeus, the only way he could make a living was to tack a bit of, you know, we talk about COVID tax, he sacked Zacchaeus tax on top. So you've got to think and imagine you're in this day and age and Zacchaeus is collecting tax and, Mrs. wants a new dress, so oh, tax has gone up a hundred bucks today, buddy. 
You've got to pay it. So Zacchaeus was stealing from his own people to line his own back pocket and working for the Romans. He was hated. Think about any man's name that's been in the news or any woman's name that's been in the news that you absolutely cringe when you hear. That's Zacchaeus. And it also mentions that he was wealthy. We don't realise why that is until the very end of the story, but he was extremely wealthy. The Bible goes on and says that he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Again, you've got to ask yourself, why would Jesus put in there that he was short? Did we need to know that he was short? Now, we look at that and we go, oh, you know, he was short in stature. But see, in Australia, we have this thing called small man syndrome. Now, it's not really relegated to men because there's plenty of women that have small man syndrome. And in reality, what is it? It's someone that's got a chip on their shoulder because of the way they've been treated. Think about Zacchaeus. Everyone hates him. He's got a chip on his shoulder goes and climbs a tree. The Bible says, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. I find that interesting. Why didn't it just say tree? Could have just said he climbed a tree. We're none the wiser. God was specific. He said it was a sycamore fig tree. Why? Because the sycamore fig tree had the most foliage of any tree. Basically what he was saying was, this was a tree where Zacchaeus thought, I can hide and no one will see me. And I think that's brilliant. Today, we don't hide in trees. Maybe they will. Pastor John's walking down the street and might look up and see someone, but not likely. But what they do today is they hide at home. See, when COVID hit, we were all panicking. What's happening to the church? It's being destroyed. But in reality, the church actually went into a new stage where we began to reach people we'd never reached before. Every single church decided to do Zooms or FaceTimes or live streams, whatever you call it. Every little church around, it might have been pretty horrible, but they all started it. When I'm not in churches talking about what we do, I um, loosely attend, I say loosely because I haven't been there since February, but I attend Churches of Christ in Redcliffe. Walter's got a wonderful little church down there and he does a Sunday night service called Sanctuary Biker Church. Gets about 25, 30 blokes along, absolutely love it. I love it because it sort of reminds me a little bit of prison. You get all these blokes coming in that can't sing but, but have a love for God so they're singing out of the goodness of their heart, not out of the wonderfulness of their voice. But he was telling me one day that when COVID hit, Walter decided I'm going to do online. So Walter's online was, was worse than this. At least I can move. His was a tripod in front. The phone was there and it got this part of you filled the entire screen. But he started to talk to me, he said, Darren, I was amazed because as I'm standing there, you imagine the phone's here, he can see all the comments. He said, I'm preaching away one day and I see this gentleman talking with this lady and they're con- con- discussing what I'm preaching on. He said, but what no one realised was the bloke was from the Hells Angels and the lady was a little old lady in the church. He said, in reality, they never would have spoken, but because of FaceTime, they're communicating. So you think about it, there's people sitting at home today that are struggling with life. One of the things that COVID has done is it's brought out this idea that we need God. Bible uptakes in prison skyrocketed. When you talk to pastors around, people wanting to know more about God skyrocketed. Why? Because of fear. So there's people sitting at home today that are going through stuff, flicking through Facebook. They come across Atherton Tablelands Baptist Church. Oh, who's that? Oh, that's Pastor John. He looks like a pretty cool bloke. Big white beard. Looks like Father Christmas. Let's have a listen to what he's talking about. But they encounter Christ and they hear a story. They hear a message and it changes their lives. That's what Zacchaeus was looking for. He's looking for a change in life. The Bible goes on and it says that uh, 
when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately for I must stay at your house today. Now, I love that verse because it starts by saying, when Jesus reached the spot. Think about our own lives. We all had that spot in our life, that point in time where we encountered Christ. On that particular day, that was Zacchaeus' turn. The Bible was so specific when Jesus reached the spot. That to me says it was preordained, that he was about to encounter Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was about to encounter the genuine love of Christ. But it goes on and says that Jesus said, I must stay at your house today. This is where all the church should get super excited because when you stay at someone's house, what do you do? You eat. What's the church famous for? They love to eat. Don't get me wrong, man, I am no different. I was so blessed. I was a chaplain in Lotus Glen for seven years. About year two, so 2013, I encountered a bloke. And I met him because I walked into a unit one day and there was a young fellow, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon, he had a sore elbow. I was dead tired. My day in the prison would start at, I'd leave home at seven o'clock in the morning from Cairns, drive to prison for eight, go in the main centre till 5.30, then go across the farm till about 8.30 at night. They've wound that, they eventually wound that back to seven o'clock at night. So four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm dead tired, but you know what? The Bible says lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So I'm sitting there with this bloke and I said, mate, the Bible says if I lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. You mind if I pray for you? He said, no, go for it, Darren. I said, as I mentioned, says lay your hands on the sick. Do you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder? No, that's all right, mate. So I said a short little prayer that went something along the lines of, Father, I ask you to heal this man's elbow, take all the pain away now, in Jesus' name, amen. And I probably said it like that. Was there much faith? No, I was tired, I'll be honest. Not much there. Next week I walk into the, another unit and this older fella comes running up and he goes, you! I'm like, ooh, yes, me. He goes, you're a healer. I said, what do you mean? He said, you are in such and such a unit last week. You prayed for a young fella. I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, when you left, all pain was gone. I'm getting excited and all of a sudden God goes, see, you didn't even have a faith. Man, God only uses us as vessels. Nothing I did. That was the power of Jesus at work. But what I loved about this bloke was we started a friendship and a relationship and then he moved over to the farm and I got to the farm one night and he goes, you must be hungry, Darren. I said, absolutely. He said, here, have half of my dinner. I said, you little ripper. Then he says, on the farm they provide their own meals. So they get a a cook in the unit and they get provide the raw food and the cook cooks the food. The next week he comes in and he says to the cook, take some of my food, my portion, give it to Darren. That started a lovely relationship for me where that particular unit fed me for the next five and a half years. And man, we had a brilliant cook. It was good. I remember my boss, so I did chaplaincy under Inside Out that is now the Baptist. And my boss at the time, Jesse, came up and he came to visit the prison and I said, oh, I'll take you to the farm as well. And we walked over to the farm and as I walked into this unit that provides me food, the cook goes, oh, we've got a treat tonight, Darren. I said, what's that? He said, oh, I've got some dessert. Jesse's looking at me and he's like, I said, it's all good, mate. You'll enjoy it. We ended up with some what they call uh, coffee um, they were like a shoe pastry with coffee cream on the inside and chocolate on the top. Man, it was beautiful. So I thought, still taste it. Jesse looks at me and goes, I know why you're a chaplain. You're here for the food. Mate, because they looked after me. But fast forward and God calls me back down to Brisbane and I leave prison and I'm driving a truck down in Brisbane and I'm driving along one day and God says, remember all them fellas that you ate with on the farm, Darren? And as I'm driving, look, their faces started to come in front. I remember conversations and stories and, man, it was, I was having a good time. And then God says, now, he said, what about them fellas in the main centre? I'm like, yeah, and I've got a couple of guys in the main centre that I spent hours with and I'm thinking about them and one guy I still communicate with his mum and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, 
I must shoot reader a message and see how he's going. And, and then God says the clincher, he goes, what's the difference in the relationship? Oh, man, like a ton of bricks have hit me. Every bloke that I ate with contacted me within a month of getting out of prison. Half of that, well, most of those blokes don't have their own faith journey, don't walk with God today, but they still contact me. Had coffee with two blokes last time I was up. Do they go to church? No, but they were impacted. God started to talk to me about the power of sharing a meal, the power of having a coffee with someone. Our, as I mentioned, our state manager, Graham, has been involved in prison ministry for, since 2005. And uh, he often talks about Jesus having a backside ministry. And we go, well, that's a bit facetious. Read through the Gospels, though. How often do you see, and he reclined with them. And Jesus reclined with the sinners. Oh, and he reclined with them. And he reclined with them. Jesus constantly reclined. What was reclining? He was sitting back in a chair. He was sharing a meal. Because it's so important for us to change people's lives just by sitting down and having a chat. Now, I did set that early so I had time to continue. Just give you the heads up. (laughs) So, there's importance for us to share a meal with someone. You begin to hear their story. You take someone out for a coffee. You sit down, you ask them all about them and you begin to hear about their story. You get that opportunity to share about what God's done in your life. See, the beauty I love about prison is that you're not allowed to proselytise. So, you cannot force someone to your faith. But man, you are allowed to share your story every day of the week that you're in there. You can share it to anyone you want. Why? Because it's your story of how you encountered Christ. What did Jesus do for you? How did Jesus help you through that tough period? You can share that story and someone goes, oh, oh, that helps me, Darren. Thanks for that. Have a coffee with someone. It's what we're called to do. We're we're relational people that are called to have relationship with people. The Bible goes on and it says, All the people saw this and they began to mutter, It's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I love this bit. This is really like every church has these people. So you've got to imagine, I used to say to the fellas in prison, you've got to imagine yourself in the story. So let's go back a couple of thousand years and we're walking with Jesus. So you've got Jesus, you've got the 12 disciples with him, then you've got the 70 hanging around that, that he sent out in commission, then you've got what I like to call the freeloaders. They've heard that Jesus feeds the 5,000, Jesus feeds the 4,000. I might get a free feed today. Let's hang around this fella. But then you've got that other group, the group that we don't like to talk about, but every church has them, what we call the gossipers. They're the ones that go down the main street of Atherton, Pastor John's in there having a cup of coffee. They, ooh, who's he having a coffee with? They grab their phone, put it on social media. Did you see who he was having a coffee with? How dare he eat with that person? Doesn't he know he's a sinner? Some of us are guilty of doing that. Because the truth is that for every single one of us, there's someone that we sit back and go, no, 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 you can't become a Christian. Oh, no. You don't deserve the gospel. You don't deserve Jesus. You go, no, we don't think like that. Well, yes, you do. I could say a few names of some men that have done a lot of time and people would cringe. Oh, they don't deserve Jesus. Yeah, they do. Jesus died for everyone. There's not a soul that he didn't die on this earth for, not a person he didn't die for. It's up to us to begin to share the gospel. It's up to us to get out there and stop judging who people are talking to. Because the truth is that God does not care what you think about who he ministers to. We'll say that again. God does not care what you think about 
to him my sister. Because God loves everyone. Heaven was created for every single person. And it's hard. Hey, man, I've had to come up with some tough stuff. I've had to face some tough things. I've spoken to plenty of blokes in prison where I've met them. I go, Ooh, I don't know, Lord. God's like, really, Darren? You don't think they deserve my life? No, sorry, God. Yes, they do. Get rid of that enemy. Because everyone deserves Jesus. One of the things that irks us the most about that situation, though, is that what really is going on is Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, I accept you. We struggle with that because in our modern society, if I accept you, what that's really saying in our eyes is, I condone what you do. What a load of junk. My acceptance of someone is not me condoning what they do. It's me saying, you know what, you're worth it. God loves you, brother. You were worth it. I don't care what you've done, but Jesus loves you. He's not interested in that. He's interested in you. See, the problem with us is that we look at that and we go, oh, if I condone that, I'm saying that what you're doing is all right. No, it's not. And I've sat with so many blokes and I've looked at them and I said, mate, I love you with all my heart. Can't stand what you did and what put you here. Hate that with a passion. But as for you, I love you, mate. I'm here for you. You see that that breaks down walls. When you say that to someone, you begin to see everything drop away. Really? You do? And when they stuff up and you continue to love them through it, Man alive, that knocks the walls for a sick. Because that's unusual in this world. Who in this world still loves me when I make a mistake? Should be every Christian. But then you've got the best part of the, the Bible, this story. Very last verse, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house. I love that. So I don't know about you, but I didn't read anywhere in there about sinner's prayer. Didn't see it at all. See, we turn around and we go, oh no, you can't come to Jesus till you said that prayer. I remember walking into a unit one day and we used to go in with a clear plastic bag. In my bag I always carried a group of Bibles because you're allowed to hand a Bible out in a prison, can't do it anywhere else in the world, but freely hand them out in jail. Love it. Walked into a unit one day, Blake says, I want something to read. I said, mate, all I've got left is Bibles. He says, yeah, I'll take that. About nine months later I come into another unit this bloke comes up, he goes, oh, praise the Lord, brother. Definitely not what was coming out of your mouth nine months ago. But again, Jesus is saying to me, see, Darren, didn't need you. All you had to do was hand a Bible. Bloke encountered Jesus, how? In a Bible. Had another bloke I was, uh, that flew me up for his court case in February this year. I met him in June of 2018. He's in a prison. He's a bloke that's about this tall. Got a head full of tattoos. Got some gold teeth. He's in prison watching God TV in the middle of the night, sees a story, gets down on his knees and said, God, if, if you're real and you're that, what that bloke's talking about, I want to know you. Journeyed with him for about six months before he got bail. When he got out, he went to a local church in Cairns, was committed, he had a genuine faith. Goes to court, knew he was going to prison, two days before court, puts a video up on Facebook. Here to tell you all, yes, I'm guilty of what I did, but I go to prison a free man. Why? Because Jesus set me free. Crimes I did, I did well before I found Christ, but Jesus has set me free. When I'm in jail, I'll be preaching the gospel. See, we encounter Christ in so many different ways. The only way to God is through Jesus. But there are many ways to Jesus. It's through story, it's through having a coffee, it's through meeting with people, it's through sharing with people, listening to people. God's calling us 
to be exactly what Jesus did in this story, to begin to walk along. Say to people, hey, let's have, let's have a meal. Let's have a coffee. Let's hear about your story. And then begin to share with them how much God loves them, how much Jesus loves them for what they've done. It's amazing to see that change take place. So I'd encourage you that as you leave today, have a think about that. Think about Jesus and Zacchaeus. Look at it in a different light. But take it as a challenge to say, who can I have a coffee with this week? $5 coffee and you can actually change someone's life. Because over a cup of coffee, over working in a men's shed, people's walls drop. You begin to hear the true story. You begin to be able to encounter them and talk to them about Jesus. Thank you very much for having me. Look, I'll be out in the, the morning tea room. Come and have a chat. appreciate the time. Hopefully I haven't gone too far over. But um, any question you want to ask about prison ministry, knock yourself out. There's nothing off the table. I'll answer anything that I legally can. If there's questions I can't, I'll be honest with you and tell you I can't. But ask me anything. If you're interested in partnering with us in any way, becoming a volunteer, I'm happy to share any story with you to help you get across the line to go, yes, let's take part in this. Let's see a revival in Queensland prisons. Thank you very much, Pastor John.